we're continuing our series titled Say What? And uh, we're focusing on the miracles and the message of Jesus. Uh, we're about four weeks in now, so if you've missed one of those four weeks, you might want to go and catch it on our YouTube or our Facebook page, or you can go on to the church website. We've got a podcast. Really, there's no reason not to get behind on the messages. We've made them very available to you, and, and uh, we've been talking about the authority of Christ in week one and how disciples are, are under the authority of Jesus. We looked at how he rescues the lost, and there's more joy, as I said, in heaven um, over one lost sinner that repents than over 99 who never wander away. Last week, we sort of took a little bit of a detour out of Luke and Acts. We'd been focusing on Luke, and then we'll move into Acts here shortly as we've been following the Banding Together reading plan. Um, and last week, we, we took a little detour into Psalms. Uh, there are some Psalms sprinkled in into that reading plan. And we talked about the pathway to peace. And I would say, in the almost three years that I've been here, I got more feedback, um, positive, encouraging feedback on the message last week than on any message that I've preached in the time that I've been here. And I heard from people who have been a part of this church since I got here who have never said a word about a sermon. And so I know that it resonated, and I tell you that because if you missed it and you're struggling with anxiety or with anger or with frustration or just a lack of peace, or you know someone who is, then maybe it's God's Word to you in this season, in this circumstance. Today we're going to be looking at, uh, back into Luke, and we're actually going to look at Luke 18. Uh, I mentioned last week that I was thinking about preaching a message out of Luke 18, and the, let the children come to me in verses 15 through 17, and explained how we really want to open Kids Way back up for our elementary ages, but we're having trouble just staffing the nursery and the pre-K. And, uh, and I didn't want to preach a guilt trip sermon, and so I didn't. And I said, I'll just trust the Holy Spirit. And the most amazing thing happened. Pastor Sandy popped in two or three different times this week and said, you're not going to believe this. Somebody else signed up, or people signed up right after the message, or I was just at the Seniors on the Go thing, and a couple people mentioned that they want to start. And so I know that the Spirit is working, and I'm so excited that people are responding in faith to that as the Spirit says, you know, you could, you could help. You could be consistent. You could be weekly, monthly, you could do it for a season, you know, is there a way that you can participate in that? So I just want to say thanks, and that's exciting, and we are going to focus on those verses, but we're going to focus on entering the kingdom, entering the kingdom. That's our title for today's message, and it really is the central message of Jesus, was the kingdom of God. And throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what are known as the synoptic gospels that kind of follow an order, uh, a synopsis, they're, they're more oriented around the action moving forward in the narrative and the teachings of Jesus, whereas John focuses on fewer stories that don't necessarily emphasize the, the chronology of the Gospels as much. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, though, they have a lot of similarities, and they all include this story, and they all include a number of, of references to the kingdom. It's very, very clear that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, those two uh, topics, which are really one and the same topic, were the central message of Jesus's ministry. And so, we're going to look at the central message of Jesus' ministry, which is the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, as it's presented here in Luke, it's surrounded by stories that illustrate the main point that Jesus is making. So um, if you have a, one of our pew Bibles here in the, in the sanctuary, it's page 1629. If you're following along, 
you can get a finger in Luke 18. We'll spend most of our time there on that uh, passage. And it'll be helpful to have a Bible open in front of you so you can kind of scan back at some of the stories and scan forward at some of the stories. We're not going to read all of those stories. Um, But Luke 18, verses 15 through 17, Jesus, this is sort of the setting. We're told that people were bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. They rebuked the people that were bringing their children. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine this? And it gets worse, okay, or better, depending on how you think of it. We'll, we'll dive into that. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so, as I said, it gets better or worse depending on how you look at it. If you zoom out from this story, which is right in the middle of Luke 18, you'll see that back in Luke 17, verses 20 through 37, Jesus starts talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees ask him this question, and it was almost like he couldn't wait for them to ask this question so that he could teach on it, so that he could make illustrations on it. And as soon as they ask that question in Luke 17, he's got all kinds of things to say about it. And the narrative and the the things that happen really flesh this out for us. So we start Luke 18 with the parable of the persistent widow. And it's, it's talking about the value of persistence in the kingdom of God, and why we should always pray and not give up. And so that story comes in. Then we have the Pharisees and the tax collector, that story of the Pharisee who was at the temple, and he was standing at a distance and thanking God for how amazing the Pharisee was, not how amazing God was, and how he's just, you know, so wonderful. And then that's contrasted with the tax collector who is, won't even lift his head up. He's just in hum- humility pounding his chest and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so you have that contrast. Then we have this story, and he's just said in verse 14, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the setting when people are bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples are shooing them away, it's, it's almost hard to believe that they missed it. And yet, if I put myself in their shoes, I'm sure I would have missed it too. Um, and so you have this teaching, and then immediately after this, you have the story of the rich ruler, the one who says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, sell everything and give to the poor, and then you'll be wealthy in heaven. And he goes away sad because of his great wealth. And so there's a contrast there between receiving and entering the kingdom of God like a, like a little child and this rich ruler who goes away sad. And then right on the heels of that, you have the story of the blind, blind beggar, of Bartimaeus, who, who will not be silenced. The disciples are doing it again. They're telling Bartimaeus, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And he will not be quiet. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he keeps doing that until... Jesus turns and acknowledges him and gives him back his sight. And then this whole thing finishes in the first half of 19 with the story of Zacchaeus, a wee little man, right? And a wee little man was he. You know that one. And he won't be deterred either. He's willing to climb up a tree and 
and these stories all illustrate these points. And the ten minas is speaking about the kingdom of God. It's one of the kingdom parables. The kingdom of heaven is like Jesus introduces it. And so in all of these two chapters, from the middle of 17 to the middle of 19, he's fleshing out what the kingdom looks like and what it looks like to receive it and what it looks like to enter it. And this passage is right in the middle, and it makes a central point about the central message of Jesus, which is the kingdom of God. And here's the point Jesus is making in these verses, that there is more than one way to receive the kingdom, but there's only one way to enter the kingdom. And we do well to pay attention and learn what he wants us to learn from this. So first question we have to ask is, what is the kingdom? What's the kingdom of God? What does that mean? And I've talked about this before, but it's important to remind everyone that we're not just talking about a political kingdom, thank God, right? We're not just talking about a geographical kingdom. The word that we translate as kingdom from the Greek language, which the Bible was originally written in, in Greek, I should say the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Um, the Greek word is basilia, and that word doesn't just talk about like a political kingdom. It's talking about royal power, essentially. Like that's its essence is royal power or dominion or kingship. A lot of scholars have said it, it maybe would be best translated with the phrase order of authority. And so in a real sense, the kings that we think of, if when you think of a kingdom, you think of, of Great Britain and the height of the monarchy and the king sitting on the throne. Well, the kingdom is where the king's will is done. And so the kingdom is as big as the king's will being done. And so at the height of the British Empire, it was all around the world. And they said the sun never set on the British Empire, on the British kingdom. There was a king, one king that sat over all that, and he made, he made edicts, and he made decisions, and those were carried out throughout the whole kingdom. Well, the kingdom of God is essentially the effective reach of God's reign and rule. It's where he reigns. It's where his will is being done, and so the kingdom of God is in your heart. The kingdom of God is in a group or a fellowship of people that decide to commit themselves to His will being done in their midst. The kingdom of God can be in a family. The kingdom of God can be in a church. The kingdom of God can be in a larger body or a denomination. The, the kingdom of God is wherever God's will is being done. And so the kingdom of God is everywhere. The, the sun never sets on the kingdom of God either. Because where His will is done, that's the kingdom of God. So that's sort of the first thing that we have to understand. What is the kingdom? The second thing is we have to understand that there is a difference, and Jesus makes this difference between receiving the kingdom and entering the kingdom of God. It's two different verbs in the original language. It's two different verbs. That's why we translate it two different ways, receiving the kingdom and entering the kingdom. And so to receive, that word means to accept, to welcome, to take hold of, to receive. I just received the bottle. If I tossed it to Dawson on the second, I won't. If I tossed it, he would catch it. He would receive it, right? Or maybe he would fumble it. I don't know. I, I think he would catch it. I'm pretty, I got a lot of confidence in his ability to catch it. But he would receive it. He would take it in. And he would take hold of it. And receiving the kingdom of God equals, in this sense, a, an awareness, a knowledge of 
the kingdom. Like, you understand that it exists. You understand what it's all about. You have a knowledge of the will of God. You have a knowledge of His reign and rule and what that is. And in case we've forgotten, His, reign, or his, his will is that none would perish. Second Peter 3.9 tells us that He's not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's will. That's why John wrote in one of the most famous passages in all of literature that God so loved the world that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's will, is that everyone would believe in Him, that everyone would not perish, that everyone would have everlasting life. And so there's receiving the kingdom, there's awareness, there's intellectual insight into the kingdom of God. But then there's entering the kingdom, and he, he breaks this down. He says not everyone will enter, that you have to receive it like a little child. To receive is to understand. To enter is to go into, and to by extension, to remain in the kingdom of God. So he's talking about receiving and entering, to voluntarily place ourselves under his rule and reign. That's what it means to enter the kingdom of God, to make where we are the kingdom of God, because we let God's will be done in us and through us. We let His reign and rule extend into our lives. We make that decision. And Jesus tells us that we must receive the kingdom of God like little children in order to enter the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? We tracking? And so then a really important question is, well, how do, how do children receive the kingdom of God? Like, what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a little child? Like, how do we do that? It's all great to understand that, but how do we actually do that? And I think there are two defining characteristics that Jesus had in view, and we see this from some of the other um, examples of this story in Matthew and in Mark. The first is humility, that humility is a key ingredient to how children receive the kingdom. And the second is simplicity, they don't overcomplicate it. Kids don't overcomplicate things, do they? Especially little children. It's like, keep it simple, and there's a humility that they have. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time kind of looking into that humility and that simplicity. I mentioned that Matthew talks about this, as does Mark. In Matthew 18 and Mark 10, a similar story appears. And in Matthew 18:4, Jesus clarifies what it is about children that enables them to receive and therefore enter the kingdom of God. He says, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. You see, the disciples were having an argument right before he says this about who was the greatest among the disciples. They did this way too much. And Jesus picks up a little kid and puts him on his lap. He says, you guys are missing it. You're missing it. It's not about who's closest to me. It's not James on one side and John on the other. It's not ready, fire, aim, Peter, ready to, you know, take things down until, you know, you insinuate Jesus that he even knows Jesus, and then he'll deny him three times. It's the little children. It's the humility of the little children. And that word humble means to make low. When he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To humble yourself means to make yourself low, to make yourself fully dependent, to empty yourself of ego, and to fix your eyes completely on Jesus. And he's talking about a a healthy humility. There's false humility. There's unhealthy false humility. And it's important to understand that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's not beating yourself up. It's not berating yourself. Kids don't do that, do they? 
It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others. It's Jesus, others, yourself. It's putting things in the right order and put our focus on Jesus and then on serving others and finally on ourselves. You see, it's also simplicity, though. It's not just humility. There's a simplicity. And what I love about kids is they don't even know they're being humble, do they? They're not trying to be humble. They're not putting on a front. They're in simplicity of heart. They're just loving God and seeking Him in humility. With, with kids, they don't know. They're not trying. They're not putting on an act. And maybe one of the best illustrations of this in, in the Gospels would be John the Baptist. You see, when Jesus spoke about John the Baptist, do you remember what He said? He said, there's none greater of those born of a woman than John the Baptist. So he must have had humility down because Jesus just said that whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And what was John the Baptist there to do? What was the sole purpose of his life? And, and he embraced it 100%. It was to point people to Jesus. It was to point people to him. And he even said, I must decrease. He must increase. It's not about me. None of this is. This ministry, these baptisms out in the wilderness, any of it, it's all about Jesus. I'm just here to point people to Jesus. In fact, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. That's humility. John the Baptist got it, and Jesus acknowledged that and held him up. And there was an ESV footnote in my ESV study Bible that I thought worded the essence of humility really well. Really well. It says, the humility of a child consists of childlike trust, vulnerability, and the inability to advance his or her own cause apart from the help, direction, and resources of a parent. And the second half of that is what really caught my attention. The inability to advance his or her own cause apart from the help, direction, and resources of a parent. You see, kids... Uh, have you ever seen a little toddler when they see mom or dad coming, they lift their hands up, you know, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. Humility, simplicity, like I can't do anything apart from you and I don't want to try to do anything apart from you. And I know that gets a little old sometimes when you've got a bunch of toddlers for a long time and you get tired of doing for them as the parent, but there's, like, God doesn't get tired of caring for us. God's more like the grandparents that are always excited to pick them up, always excited to take care, always excited to do anything that they can. And so I wonder, does that, does that statement, the inability to advance his or her own cause, apart from the help, direction, and resources of a parent, does that describe my reception? Does that describe your reception of the kingdom of God? Is that our posture towards the kingdom of God, like that of a little child? fully dependent upon God's help, direction, and resources. Now, there's further illustrations, as I mentioned. I foreshadowed a little bit of this. Even if we just start in chapter 18, there's further illustrations from the stories surrounding this lesson. So, you have the persistent widow in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 18. Are kids persistent? <laughs> when they want something, are they persistent? Do they keep asking and keep asking and keep asking? Are we there yet? yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Can I play yet? Can I play the game? Can I play the device? Can I have the thing? Can I have the juice? Can I have the... Over and over. They're persistent, right? Until you threaten them, they're probably going to keep asking. Kids are persistent. 
There's a little insight there. We should be persistent, not in an annoying way necessarily, but persistent. And then in the Pharisee and the tax collector, there's, there's an example of someone who does not receive the kingdom of God as a child. In the Pharisee, they're so full of pride and selfishness and arrogance that they miss it. They're a clear example of, of someone who's not entering into the kingdom. And then you have the tax collector who's, who's beating his breast and saying, have mercy on me, O God. The tax collector is receiving it in humility and simplicity. The disciples here in this passage, they missed it. They're not getting it. They're not acting out of humility. They're chasing off people that are trying to get to Jesus. They totally missed the point. And we need to be careful that we don't totally miss the point ourselves. Then in the story that follows right after this, the rich ruler, he's so filled with pride and greed and self-sufficiency that he misses the kingdom as well. And he's not going in. He's not entering the kingdom. It was available to him, but he didn't enter in. He didn't receive it as a child. Now the blind beggar, right after that, you got the rich ruler, he's not going in. He's not receiving it as a child. He's not entering. He's given as an example of what not to do. The blind beggar, right after that, you see persistence. You see humility. You see deep, deep faith. And one thing else you really see in the story of the blind beggar that you maybe don't see so much in the others is the joy. He rejoices when he receives his sight. And we're told that everyone rejoices with him, that there was great joy and rejoicing. And he goes along with Jesus, following after him in great joy. And kids get joy, don't they? Kids have joy down. They can find joy in the smallest, simplest things. And so we see the blind beggar is a great example of one who receives the kingdom with great joy and enters in. And finally, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, we see persistence again. In each of these cases, there's persistence. There's, there's humility. And Zacchaeus repents, and he does so with great generosity, repaying anyone that he's cheated and and giving to the poor, and, and just outlandishly generous. And so our bottom line today, our bottom line this morning, and I really struggled with the bottom line. I, I rolled it around over and over. I read 18, Matthew 18, or sorry, Luke 18, back on Monday. I had a whole week. And here's the bottom line I landed on. We enter the kingdom as humble children of God. And I had written that statement, and I usually write out my kind of idea, and then I try to wordsmith it a little bit, look for a play on word, look for something that gives it a little bit of a punch, and it was like God finally whispered to me, he said, what, is that too simple for you? The whole message is about simplicity. Is there just a little bit of you that wants to get clever and cute with the bottom line so that maybe people will be impressed? And I said, okay, God, <laughs> that's it, that's the message, that's Jesus' central message, is that we enter the kingdom of God as humble children of God. We enter the kingdom with humility, with simplicity. And so, to sort of illustrate this, you know, I, I've got a little something under the, under the tablecloth over here. And uh, it's a dollhouse. <laughs> See, I, we only had boys. I have, I have four boys. And uh, I think I would have been the dad that really liked to play with dollhouses because I kind of had a thing for architecture growing up. I thought I was going to be an architect, and then I ended up not being an architect. I was an English major, and then as soon as I get my degree in English, I start selling life insurance, and then I'm called into the ministry. Go figure. So I never really got to play with dollhouses. But imagine, 
being given a house, being given a mansion. Like, it's bigger and better than anything you have. In fact, just like God, there's more. It's like a really big mansion, and this would have been so much fun to play with. Maybe we'll get granddaughters, right? And, and we can play dollhouses with them. But imagine that the rooms are bigger, the yard is bigger, all the furniture is nicer. It's filled with love and joy and peace because dad is always there. In fact, my kids, they always, is, your, is this your day off, dad? The little kids, is this your day off, dad? How many times do you get that question as a parent? Is today a day off? Because they want you around, right? Dad's always there in this house. It's given as a gift. There's no charge. And you're invited to live there rent-free for life. You didn't earn it. You can't pay for it. So imagine never entering. Imagine never walking in. This house has been given to you. Imagine never walking into it. Or maybe just visiting it once a week for an hour. And that's our experience with the kingdom of God. Now, for some reason, it's even harder to imagine a child not accepting that, not moving in, not running in and running up and down the halls and screaming, with, shrieking with delight and with joy. And so, my encouragement is, don't just, don't just receive the kingdom intellectually. Run in like a little kid. Like spread all your stuff out. Make a mess. Unpack, settle in, never, ever leave. Live and abide in it forever. You know, Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. We should live in this thing. Live in the kingdom of God that he's run into it just like a little kid. And plant ourselves in the center of his will and seek to do nothing apart from his help, his direction, and his resources. You might be saying, well, that's great. Great point. Good illustration. How? How do I do that? How do I make that a reality? And I would say, watch your dad. Watch your big brother. Pay attention to what they did. Spend time in his word, seeing how did Jesus interact with people, and then seek to emulate that. How does God care for people? How does God show his love for people? And then emulate that. Do that in your own life. Watch what they do and then do what they do. Learn from them. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am lowly, humble, and gentle in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. It's not supposed to be about rolling your sleeves up and working harder. It's about learning from your heavenly father. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in fellowship with other believers, people who are farther along than you and people who are not as far along in the, with you. And bridge that gap. Learn from those that are farther along. Teach those who are farther behind. That's called disciple making. Being made a disciple and making disciples. Spending time in his word. Learning what Jesus did so that you can do what Jesus did. I think sometimes we make it too big, too complex. I need to do this and this and this. I need to take this and this and this class. I need to go to Bible college. I need to go to seminary. I need to learn Greek. I need to learn Hebrew. I need to, maybe, depending on God's specific call for your life, but everybody can spend more time in his word. Everybody can spend more time engaging scripture. Everybody can spend more time in fellowship with people who are and learning from them. 
and learning from your heavenly Father and learning to trust Him, trust Him deeply, follow Him closely, obey Him completely, and tell everyone. That's the last thing, kids. Like, they tell everyone, right? When they're excited about something, they'll walk up to strangers and tell just anybody about the thing that they're excited about. We should be so excited about the provision that's been made for us and that we get to to live there in the kingdom of God with our Heavenly Father, that we would want to tell people, that we would want to share and spread the message of Jesus. And so my question is, what's your next step? What's your next step? Is it baptism? We talked about that right at the beginning. Is it, is it baptism? Is the Holy Spirit kind of tapping you on the shoulder and saying, pay attention, this is for you. Go to the class. Make good plans. Have the conversation. If you've got questions, reach out to me. Maybe your next step is something else. The Holy Spirit has laid upon your heart. Maybe your next step is to be a little more disciplined or a lot more disciplined in your time in the Word, in your time in prayer, and to make some of the kingdom priorities, higher priorities in your own life. Whatever your next step is, my prayer as always is that we would be a people who take that next step in faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the time that we have had to be together to learn from you, to discover your will for us, to discover how we can respond in faith. And we pray, Lord, that whatever your Holy Spirit has laid upon us, that we would respond in faith to it, that we would move in to your gracious provision for us in the kingdom of God, that we would receive it as a little child running in, big smile on our face, and that we would get settled in and we would stay in your kingdom, that your rule and reign would be evident in our lives. Help us now through the power of your Holy Spirit to respond in faith to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.